Hello, hello. This is something new I'm trying with Coffee Stains EDU podcast. I decided to record myself, see how it goes. I'm actually going to post this on the YouTube channel as well as the website. And I apologize beforehand if you hear my cats meowing because they're very needy. Oh, one of them is Stormy. Come. Very needy. So as you guys know, if you're listeners, um, again, thank you very much for being um, listeners, for your suggestions, your advice, and just your feedback. It's very motivational and inspiring for me. Um, and as I was going to say, um, as you know, I don't edit my content. So whatever you see now, whatever you hear now is what you're going to hear on the podcast and um, see when I post. I'm going to post this video because I know, you know, at first I thought maybe I can just do an audio like I usually do, but I felt that a visual will um, be very helpful for anyone that is um, listening and needing support when it comes to the Danielson rubric. So Coffee Stain EDU podcast has um, about 17 episodes right now. And then I did a Woman's History Month series. I think there's like two or three episodes in there. I am going to go into another series. Well, maybe not a series, just different. I mean, um, topics that are the same. If that makes sense, whatever. <laughs> um, I'm going to be going into the Danielson rubric. So the Danielson rubric is for educators. So I know I usually share um, information and content that can be applied to any career, any field, any role that you play. But there are going to be certain topics because I am in the educational field. I'm going to lean more towards education. And this one is one of them. Um, You might, I mean, if you want to listen, then by all means, you can listen. I'm not knocking you. I'm not saying that you might not get anything helpful or useful out of this podcast. Um, Because I do feel that looking at the domains that we're going to be addressing, you can somehow apply it to other other positions and roles, right? If you are in a job that you have to perform a specific task or customer service or something like that, you possibly can. Um, or if, if you can't, um, maybe you sh- can share this with someone who can benefit from it, okay? So I am going to, my podcast is usually 25 minutes or less. I know everyone's busy, like I usually say. Um, I try to make it short and sweet to the point with tips and advice that you could apply right away. Well, I usually end the podcast with a challenge, challenging you to do something based on what I covered in the podcast. I was thinking that, you know, I'm just brainstorming as I am recording here. Like I said, I don't edit any my my little little. (laughs) I don't edit any of my material. Um, so what you hear now is what you're going to get. And, um, you know, I just try to keep it as authentic as possible because I want people to really uh, believe and trust and have faith that I'm not talking out my ASS. You know, I'm, I'm talking um, from a passionate place, uh, a place with, that genuinely wants to help and assist and guide other people that are in similar, that are on similar journeys as myself. So I think I am going to split the four domains into two different episodes. 
I can probably do one episode per domain. Um, and you know what? Maybe that would be the best thing so that it's not too overwhelming or too much information within one. So that's what I'm going to do. Okay, decided. Thank you for your support in that. <laughs> so I think um, I'm going to start off with um, breaking down. Well, let's explain a little bit what the Danielson rubric is, right? So the Danielson rubric, I have it pulled up here, is basically a framework for teaching components. So there are about four components that we use that's in the Danielson rubric. And we basically use it to rate the performance of our teachers. Simple, right? It's simple because of just like explaining like that. But when you're dealing with it, it's really not so simple. When you're an educator and you're being rated with the Danielson rubric, it's not so fun. Like so many emotions and nerves and you just look at it like this beast that you cannot overcome. Um, but with time, with practice and with learning and educating yourself about what the rubric is, what does it ask for? It, it, it doesn't become so scary anymore. And I think that is what I want to help you accomplish with doing this podcast series of the Danielson rubric attack. Now let's, let's name it. Tackling the Danielson rubric, tackling, because we do need to tackle it. We need to just jump right on it and, and defeat it and realize that it doesn't, um, it, it does, it shouldn't become, it shouldn't be something scary to us. If we look at it and we just read it and we really understand what the rubric is asking for, you can be effective and highly effective, right? That's the goal. We'll break that down a little bit more as we go in. But it's the goal is to become familiar with what the rubric is asking of you and what administration wants to see when they go into the classroom. That way you can deliver that instruction. And, and the goal is to be effective and highly effective educators because that means our students are learning, our students are engaged, our students are being better prepared for the next year, okay? So the rubric is a framework uh, for teaching components, um, for teaching components. And the four domains, which we're going to discuss, which you see on the screen right here, is planning and preparation, classroom environment, instruction, and professional responsibilities. Before we jump into planning and preparation, I'll just give a breakdown of a description of that. What does that look like? And then I'll give you some tips and advice on how to actually do that in the classroom. And maybe even let's we'll tackle the Danielson rubric. We'll look at the rubric and we'll decide because you know, as administrators, we everyone has their own way of doing things. I know some administrators administrators will go right into effective. Okay, let's read effective and let's see what did that teacher do that aligns to effective. If there's nothing aligning, then they're either going to go to developing or they're going to look and say, oh, wow, they did all of this and, and some. Let's look at highly effective, right? So we'll look at that too because I know sometimes teachers are a little confused. They, they, they think that they were effective or highly effective, but there were more components of developing than effective. And, um, and an effective leader is going to provide you with the exact hit. I mean, not advice, not advice, sorry. The exact evidence from your lesson 
that shows that you were in developing and not effective or ineffective and not highly effective. So I feel that depending on the leadership that you have in your school will determine how you are given that feedback. And I would ask, I mean, as a, I was a teacher in the classroom not long ago, and I used to ask if I, if I got a, a rating that I really wasn't comfortable with, or I felt that I did, I would question it. And I would say, hey, well, I did X, Y, and Z. And according to the rubric, that aligns towards effective or that aligns towards a highly effective. Can you tell me why you felt that I was not highly effective? Or did you, did you, I never really focused on highly effective. I was always okay with effective and I was okay right there. Developing as a new teacher, I was developed, develop, developing. And I mean, you sometimes will have these mixed emotions about it, but again, you're, uh, a new teacher, you're a new educator, you don't know anything about anything and you are learning and growing and developing means you are there and you're, you're, you're developing and you're growing to become effective, right? So that is a good place to be when you are a new teacher. If you get a developing when you are a seasoned teacher or whatever, whatever, we could talk about that later, but you know, sometimes we just have rough days or sometimes we get comfortable in our position in our role and we do become developing and we go backwards instead of forward. You know, it, there's a lot of things that contribute to that, but I'm going to go into planning and preparation, which is domain one, a planning and preparation. But before I go in that, I'm going to, um, no, I'm just going to go right in. <laughs> I'm just going to go right in. So I'm going to be looking over here because I have my screen pulled up with the Danielson rubric, and I'm going to be sharing the slides here with you guys. So let's see. Okay, yeah. Okay, so planning and preparation is 1A and 1E. So if you look at the Danielson rubric, we have four, we've had four domains. We have one, planning and preparation. Two is classroom environment. Three is instruction and four is professional responsibilities. And each each um, podcast that I do, I'm going to tackle one of the domains and we're just going to dive deep, deep, deep in there. And you're going to, the goal is for you to become more confident in your instructional practices, more aware and knowledgeable of the domains and how to actually implement that into your practices so you can get those effectives and highly effectives and be happy and teachers the administration is happy you're happy and students are learning right that's what we want so the planning and preparation effective teachers plan and prepare for lessons using their extensive knowledge of the content area the relationships among different strands within the content and between subjects and other disciplines and they use their students' prior understanding of the subject. So that's a lot, right, to take in. So let's break that down. I wrote, know the content. What are you teaching? Have knowledge and feel comfortable teaching the topic. And an example, which we're going to go on into a little bit later in the next slide, is how does that look? How do you become prepared? How do you feel more comfortable teaching what you are teaching, right? I hear a lot from teachers when they switch grades. Every year they have a different grade or a different subject. I apologize. That's my um, landlord's dog downstairs. Um, so practice. Teach yourself. We need to accept that we are lifelong learners. How are we going to do that? By learning the content. If we are if we are expected to teach third grade math or third grade reading and writing, it is our responsibility as educators to learn that content. 
go home, take the curriculum home, go online, do your research, practice those lessons, put together those lesson plans and actually act them out in front of the mirror, in front of your family, in front, in front of your pets. Anyway, just practice. It's very important to practice and have knowledge and feel comfortable when you're delivering what you are teaching. It's evident. When administration goes into your classroom, we see it. We know. We can tell off the bat if this lesson was planned, if you are prepared. Did you really take the time to prepare and get the material and the proper content and the questions down based on your students' levels and needs and prior knowledge? We can see that. We can see that in the delivery. So you have to be very mindful of that. So know the content. Know the content. You're given the curriculums in the beginning of the year. You are given the material. Um, some schools have pacing calendars. Some schools they have plan. I mean, you guys plan together. So talk or talk to a teacher from the. If you didn't work third grade, for example, um, last year, last year you did first grade, and this year you're doing third grade. It's your responsibility to learn it, right? Talk to a third grade teacher. That's why this is so important for collaboration and communication and relationships in a school setting, because you guys can learn and feed off each other and build on from one another, build from one another, grow from one another, right? So talk to a third grade teacher. Hey, I'm doing third grade. I know you you are familiar with the content. Let's have a coffee. Let's talk about it. Maybe you can, you know, give me a little bit of insight on it. Get to know the content. Feel comfortable teaching the topic you are teaching. Research the topic, like I just said, practice the lesson, educate yourself on the content, have a clear understanding of the learning objective, right? The learning objective should always be displayed as well. Now, some schools have different rules. They want the learning objective. They want um, how you align the common core to it, um, the standards, um, <clears throat> some ENA. ENL teachers, they use um, like lang language objectives, whatever. As long as you have an objective for that lesson, what is the goal? What is the end goal? What do you want the students to learn, right? And some people, they they use um, backwards um, planning. I think that's what it's called. Um, prep, prepare, um, backwards preparing. I don't know. It's something like that. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But what they do is they start from the bottom, the ends, the end of the lesson. Okay. What they want the student to, to get at the ends. What is the end goal? And they work backwards, right? How they, what are they going to do within that lesson to get that student to master that objective? So let's, let's just talk about like something simple, right? Something as simple as story elements, right? Um, student, you know, the objective is I can, I can identify two, two characters from the story and something like that, right? Really simple. I can identify two characters in the story. What's the objective of the lesson? For students to identify two characters of the story. So what are you going to do within that lesson to help them get to that goal? to identify those characters, right? They need to know what a character is. Is it a person? Is it an animal? Who's the story about? What's the story about, right? What's going on in the story can help them identify those characters. They need to know what a character is. So again, that's tapping into prior knowledge, right? It's a lot of embedded um, skills within 
And we need to see that. Administration needs to see that, that you know that there are some skills that you're, you're, that you're building on prior knowledge and prior skills that were taught in previous lessons, okay? You want the students, and you want to stay focused. We notice sometimes a lot of teachers like to front load. They like to throw in a lot. They like to throw in a lot. And it can become overwhelming for the kids and it can become very confusing for the teacher as well like now they're doing too much and they lost track and focus and, the, and they forgot what the goal of the lesson was i will be able to skip count or something like that right okay skip count by 10 so students need to know how to use how to skip a count by 10 i'll be able to solve this problem by using skip counts right what do the student, what is the objective of that lesson? You want the student to skip count. So they need to be able to skip count, whether it's skip counting by 10 or 20 or 30. Did you teach them how to skip count by five, right? Do they know how to count? So you wanna make sure that you are focusing on that objective and every activity and every modeling that you do within that lesson. Sorry, I talk on my hands a lot. <laughs> um, should be aligned to that student getting into that goal, right? If you're gonna be doing, um, I can identify two characters, characters in a story, you're probably gonna read a, a, um, an excerpt from the story and you're probably gonna have students answer, like, or, or to identify. What's a character? Who's a character? How do you know that person's a character or something like that? How do you know that animal's a character? There's gonna be all the activities that you do are gonna align to that end objective. You also want to be mindful of how you're going to assess those skills, right? Or the task. You want to assess that learning objective because this is going to help you plan for future lessons, right? Plan activities for students. Because again, they're all going to learn differently. Some might get it, some might not, some might just be clueless, right? So you want to be able to, you want to implement assessments, right? Effective teachers design formative assessments to monitor learning, and they provide the information needed to differentiate instruction. So that's all part of planning and preparation. Sounds like a lot, I know, but once you break it down, you got this, right? So you want to prepare assessments around learning objective, and it should be visible, meaning like we, if administration goes in, we should, it should be evident visible that you are assessing your students, right? We'd use conferencing notes, we use data sheets, we might use the, the questioning and, and you know the questioning techniques and um, discussion techniques. There's many ways you can assess, but it needs to be evident. We need to know that we know we need to know that you are assessing your kids so that you are you know how to move forward in the next lesson. Go there. So also differentiating worksheets and activities for all learners. We know no two learners learn the same. All kids learn differently. All adults learn differently. So we need to be mindful of that when we are planning. Okay. We want to make sure that if we have three or four different groups that is visible in our planning, right? What are the groups? This cat is driving me crazy. Get away. Um, what? How are we going to differentiate? What are we using to determine that differentiation, right? It's all should be on assessment. It should be on knowing your students, learning their learning styles and knowing their learning styles and creating material that they can um, complete in order to 
um, get to the learning objective or master the learning objective. We also want to make sure that we plan, we, we are um, implementing at least rigorous instruction, right? Um, we are challenging our students. We don't want to meet them here, right? They're here right now. They are in the middle. They're so-so. We also want to challenge them. We want to we wanna give them material that they can complete with all the scaffolds and the supports they need, whether it's a word bank, whether it's sentence starters, um, whether it's um, the type of paper that they need to use. Do they need visuals? So do they need an anchor chart? But we also want to challenge them, right? We want to give them material that pushes them, that provides a little bit of rigor so that, that they're not just in stagnant, right? They're not just right there in the middle, that they're they're being pushed or challenged to, to think on a different level, okay? So differentiated worksheets is a must. We want to see, I, I try to tell teachers at least two or three different types of differentiation. Some classes need more. You know, even if you're not in a special education class, don't assume that your students do not need differentiation. I'm going to repeat that. Don't assume that your students do not need differentiation just because they're in us. They're just because they're in a general ed class. All students require special education, and it depends on how you determine that, right? A lot of people decide, define special education by textbook. I feel all education should be special because I know that all kids learn differently and they all need different supports to master the, the, the objective that they are being taught in that lesson. Some kids need wait time, some kids need repetition, some kids need pictures, some kids need words, some kids just need a little bit more time, right? So we need to, we we don't sometimes look at those things as special education because that term special education is, you know, is linked to, you know, someone with severe disabilities, mental disabilities, has an IEP and yada, 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 and just stop with that, okay? I actually did a podcast that says, um, good education, not special education, because I am a true believer uh, that all all teachers should have the ability and should be trained and have the knowledge of teaching special education or or just good education, right? Like I would just say, it's not necessarily that word special education. It's just like okay, I get it. It applies to to certain um situations, but all kids do not learn the same. Just like all adults do not learn the same. So we need to have that mindset when we go into the classroom, when we're preparing our lessons and stop going with the textbook worksheet, pulling out and expecting that all students can complete that worksheet the same. Not happening. All right. Prepare different levels of questions and be prepared to build on student responses. So I'm going to go into the rubric. So how we can, how do we, let's talk about some indicators, right? So like I said, lessons and units that reflect important concepts in the disciplines. These are some indicators of planning and preparation. You're demonstrating knowledge of the content. You have, you, you have a clear and accurate explanation. You're able to explain the lesson objective, explain what students are going to be expected to do, and also clear up any misconceptions that students might have. Be ready to answer questions about the material. And that goes back to knowing the content, having knowledge, being comfortable delivering what you are teaching. And that only comes with preparation. The more you prepare, the more confident you're in in delivering what you are teaching. We want to have different level questions because again, it goes back to not, no two students learn the same. 
No two students need the same support needs and, and, and kids need multiple ways to get into that lesson, entry points, multiple entry points, right? We want to challenge our students. We, we want to ask questions that's going to make them think. We want those engines to go. We want them to think, think, think. We want them to be questioning. We want them to make predictions, inferences. We want them to ponder and wonder, hmm, what's, what's that about, you know? We want to expose them to that way of thinking because that's what they're going to be expected to do when they get older. So providing different levels of questions provides differentiation, also supports all learners, and also falls into engagement. You want to engage all kids. You want to, You don't want to be asking only surface level questions like the WH questions. Fine. You know, some kids need that because they're lower level or like the younger elementary kids. But even with them, I say challenge them. Ask them questions and expose them to questions that they might be expected to answer in upper grades, right? Like citing your text evidence, citing that. How do you know John was sad? Hmm. Maybe his face was sad in the picture, or maybe John said he's not feeling nice today. He's not in a good mood today. Um, or he's sad, right? Like these are things that we expect the kids to do in the upper grades, um, in upper elementary, but we got to start exposing them to that in the lower grades. And even if they can't answer it, you're going to open their mind to start thinking about that. Oh, what do you mean? Evidence. Like, oh, I got to show proof. Okay. I know John is sad because he was crying. Or I know John was sad because he, he said he was sad. Right. So it's just like, and then in the upper grades, when they're brought, that's brought up again, they're like, oh, I remember that, you know, in first grade, second grade, my teacher said um, evidence or to show proof of it. I know how to do that. That's just looking for something in a story that, sh that confirms this is true, right? That's diff asking, you know, asking those different levels of questions, preparing to build on student responses. We want more student-to-student -student interaction. Um, and we also want to engage students in discussions. We just don't want it to be like kind of like an interview type thing or student teacher, student teacher, student teacher. We want more of like a, a flow of a conversation on so that there's a deeper connection or um, discussion on the topic. So be prepared to build on a student responses. So for example, if we're talking, you know, um, John, John is sad. How you know John is sad? Who said John is sad? Who wants to answer that question? You know, oh, and then Sarah answers and Sarah says, oh, I, J John is sad because in the book it says he's sad. Oh, it says it in the book. Who can show me or oh, where does it say it in the book? And then the student can answer, oh, you know, I see it here on page two. It says, John, John is very sad or, or John is crying, right? And then you can build on, oh, so it says he's crying. doesn't really say he's sad. How do you know when that someone's sad when they're crying? Or how do you know, like, like so you can use, that's just an example. And I'm just going off. I don't even know. <laughs> but that's a way that you can kind of engage a student in a conversation, build on the student responses. And that can also push towards, you know, discussion techniques. Again, we want more students to students. So if you do that, you could probably ask another student to build on a student response. You can ask the students, do you agree or disagree and why, right? It's okay. And that's creating an environment where kids feel safe to share and kids feel safe to be wrong, that they know that the friends are there and the student, the other students are there not to make fun of them or to judge them, but that they're going to be there to help them grow and learn. So you create that environment for your, your, for your students, and you let them know it's a safe space that they can have those discussions and those debates or disagreements or agreements with proof or evidence and respect each other's voice, right? So that all goes into that. So 
let's go into ineffective developing effective and highly effective because sometimes this is where it gets a little um confusing for a lot of people okay and then we'll go into ways you can do this yourself so here um demonstrating knowledge um i don't i don't have the link on this computer here but i'm sure you can look it up if you just look up the danielson um, rubric 2014-2015 is the one that I am looking at right now. Teaches effectiveness program, the 13-14 rubric. I'll, I'll I'll actually post it on the college, sorry, the college, on coffeestains.org. That's the website. So I'll post it on there with in the resource page, as well as the slides that we are looking at right now. So ineffective is the teacher displays little understanding and knowledge important to student learning of the content. So the teacher makes content errors. The teacher does not consider prerequisite relationships when planning. The teacher's plans are inappropriate. Um, the plans use inappropriate strategies and disciplines. So how does that look? So an example where the teacher says, I don't understand why the math book has decimals in the same in the same unit as fraction fractions. The teacher has his students copy dictionary definitions each week to help them to learn to spell difficult words. So these are some examples of being ineffective. OK, so if you're making errors, if you are planning, but you're not if you're just. Not, I mean, obviously, if you're getting ineffective, it's because you're not planning, okay? If you're getting ineffective and demonstrating knowledge of the content, that means you're not planning. You're literally probably taking a lesson plan from somebody else, not catering it to your kids and differentiating and modifying it to meet the needs of your specific students. And you are just delivering this lesson with no knowledge, no background, no, no experience. You're just trying to sit there in front of, class, of a class and just kill time. That's exactly what it is. You're killing time. And that's going to be evident. If an administrator comes in and they observe you, they see that you're making errors. You're not really making sense. You are not even aware of the prior skills that students needed to know in order to get this lesson because a lot of your students don't know what's going on because you did not prepare this lesson. So developing goes into kind of similar but a little bit like okay you're getting there like you're not completely lost you're not completely clueless you're not making you're making maybe some errors but not too much and some of the strategies or techniques that you used are somewhat aligned but not really aligned and, and it's kind of muddy and confusing so there's like for example if you plan a, if you plan uh, a lesson and you don't make any connections to a previous lesson. So let's think of, like I said previously, if you're counting by tens, you're counting by twenties, you're skip counting, right? And the lesson is they're going to solve a problem by using skip counts. And you don't even talk about any prior lessons or skills that they learn. Like if they, obviously, if you're expecting them to know how to skip count by 10 or 20, or even let's go even to more, even to solve a problem, skip counting, right? Because it's one thing just to skip count, but now there's different parts of that problem that they have to tackle in order to answer the question, right? But there's no connection with prior lessons. 
about those skills, right? How to solve a problem. How do you identify the problem? What is the problem asking you, right? These are all these questions that you might, these are questions that you might have need, you that you would need to ask or even had taught in a previous lesson in order for students to be able to do this. Do they even know what skip count is? You go into a lesson and say, we're going to skip count. We're going to solve this problem by skip counting by 10, or we're going to solve this problem by skip counting. Are you checking that they, they understand what skip counting is? Do they know what a problem is? Do they know if they're adding, subtracting? What are they doing? Are they counting? They What, what strategies or tools they're using? So you're not, your 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 lesson and units are limited. Use limited instruction strategies. And some are not suitable to the content. So limited would not be providing these tools for the students, or even making those connections to prior um lessons that they've learned that helped them learn how to, or helps them identify when to skip count by 10, 20, right? Um, so. For an example, here's another example. The teacher plans lessons on area and perimeter independently of one another without linking the concepts together. So it's important to link concepts together. You, When we're teaching student children skills or even adults, we know that we're, we are building up for something bigger, right? We know that these kids are going to have to take state exams. They're going to have to be ready for, ele for upper elementary, middle school. So everything that they're learning from pre-K on, kindergarten on, is they're, they're adding and they're building onto skills. If you're not making that connection between the past, the previous skill that they've learned and this skill, there's going to be such a disconnect in the kid's brain. They're not going to understand. And there's going to be that broke, that there's going to be a piece broken in between that link or whatever, right? Let's go into effective. And I'm if I went over 25 minutes, I apologize. This is a lot of information and I do feel that it's necessary to spend a little bit more time on this topic just to help teachers get a better understanding because this is just the knowledge of the content. Now we're talking about, then we gotta go into designing coherent instruction, right? How do you design coherent instruction? So let's go into effective for um, demonstrating knowledge of content. So here is where we want teachers to be. <laughs> the teacher can identify important concepts of the discipline and their relationships to one another. The teacher provides a clear explanation of the content. Instructional strategies in unit and lesson are entirely suitable to the content. So an example is the teacher has realized her students are not sure how to use a compass. And so she plans to have them practice a skill before introducing the activity on angle measurements, right? So that's, for example, like if you're teaching kids about story elements or identifying um, key details in the text or characters, right? And you realize when you're teaching that some of the kids are struggling with what are key details? What are characters? Should you move forward and still try to teach them those skills the next skill that you want them to 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 master? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because if they haven't got they, if they haven't got the previous skill you're trying to teach them, there's going to be that that gap, and they're not going to be able to connect everything together eventually because they really didn't understand that first. So you have to go back, just like this example here in a, in a, the effective column. The teacher the teacher realizes they they couldn't use the compass. They were struggling to use the compass. They can't do the activity if they can't use the compass, right? So she had to go back 
and reteach that or model it for them. Make sure they understood that. And that's important. And that's what teaching is. We see that you're modeling we re or we see that you're reteaching. We see that you're giving students additional practice because they were struggling in the beginning. Then that's showing that you're designing coherent instruction and you're demonstrating knowledge of content. So some examples of planning and preparation. Do your homework. Like I said, know your stuff. Know whatever you are teaching. Look at those lessons and practice and become familiar with it because the more familiar you are with it, the more prepared you are, the more confident you are in delivering. And then you can answer questions and you can really support your students in the classroom. Prepare by, by practicing those lessons. Once you plan and you prepare, deliver it in front of your family, in front of your pets, in front of your mirror. Practice those lessons. You want to think of all learners. No two learners learn the same, like I said. It's not good education. It's, I mean, it's not special education. It's good education. We need to differentiate. We need to scaffold. We need to provide individual support to our students. So you need to think of all your learners in your planning. And that would be evident when an administrator goes into your classroom. They know, oh, she knows. She knows her, her teachers. She knows, sorry, not her teachers. She knows her students because look how she, she realized that she needed to put John with Sarah or she realized that um, Sarah needs a little bit more wait time when asked, answering questions, or maybe she realized, oh, he needs some manipulatives of sentence starters because he, he struggles with starting sentences, right? Knowing your learners and providing them with those tools to have access to what you're teaching them is showing that you're preparing and you're planning. Create with learning objective in mind. Focus on the learning objective. This is your learning objective. This is your learning objective. Don't steer away from it. Do not steer away from it. You want to focus on that learning objective. If your learning objective is students are going to be able to compare and contrast two character traits, two characters um, based on their character traits or whatever, that is your goal. Everything you do should be aligned. And when you're preparing, the best thing to do is Think of the activity and then look at the activity and say, okay, will my kids be able to master that objective based on this activity I gave them? If you're not sure, then fix that. Fix the, the, the activity, you know, modify it, adapt to do what you have to do. But you need to be 100% sure too, because if you're not sure as an adult, imagine what the kids think. If they're sitting in front of that and you did a whole lesson on comparing and contrasting um, two, two characters based on their, their traits, and then you give them a worksheet on something else, on maybe um, just identifying traits of a character, Where's the comparing contrast? The goal was you want the students to compare and contrast, but right now you just have them doing this activity that's just identifying character traits, right? Which is something which would be a prior lesson that you had to teach them anyways, but that activity is not aligned to what your learning objective is. And maybe that would be activity that you have them do before they're able to compare and contrast. Because again, maybe the kids are struggling, right? Maybe they're having a hard time understanding what a compare and contrast is. How you do? How do you compare and contrast? What does that mean? So that's your that's your perfect opportunity to whether use that let use that um use that worksheet for them to identify character traits right so you might have to go backwards and that might have to that might be two or three lessons backwards right to identify what a character trait is then to know what it means to compare and contrast and then to be able to take two characters and compare and contrast their character traits right so that would be a build up and. If they, they don't even know what a character trait is or they're confused about that, right? Um, 
you might have to go backwards and and revisit that and model um, and give more support on that skill before you can expect them to compare and contrast two character traits when they can't even identify what one character trait is one person, right? And um, that would be creating, that would be planning your lesson based on your learning objective, right? So you don't, you want to make sure that everything is aligned um, to, all your activities are aligned to the learning objective. All right, so that was 1A and 1E, planning and preparation. So 1E is designing coherent instruction, right? So I, was, I, I kept focusing on planning and preparation, but that also was 1E, designing coherent instruction and demonstrating knowledge of content. You know, that's all, that's all together. It all kind of overlaps, and I was covering both. Okay. You want to make sure that your lessons, that the lessons that supports instructional outcomes and reflect important concepts. You want to make sure that activities that present, that you are using activities that present high level thinking. You also want to provide opportunities for students' choice. And you want to use um, a very um, varied resources, right? So, like I said, you want to make sure that you are addressing all your students and you are providing them material that can help them complete this task, right? Or master this learning objective. Uh, we didn't really talk much about student choice, which is important. We wanna see that. We we wanna, even if it's as far as um, which book they're reading, which worksheet they wanna use, um, which character they wanna talk about, what strategy they wanna use in math, right? Whether, like I said, they're counting by tens or 20, skip counting. Um, do they want to use a, a, a chart to complete that problem? Do you, do, can they use a number line? You want to give students choices. And that needs to be evident within your preparation too and your designing. So within that lesson plan, you just don't, you want to have your differentiated groups, right? So for example, three different students, I mean, three different levels, three different worksheets, different three different activities, but all those activities are going to master, your. the goal is, um, they're still aligned to that learning objective, right? Those three lessons, I mean, those three worksheets or three activities might look completely different, but the end is the same goal. You're still going to be able to assess the students based on, um, assess, you're going to be able to assess the students based on that activity and be able to determine if they aligned, um, did they master the learning objective or not. But when it comes to, um, student choice, we want to see that as well, right? Within, within it. You want to give, even if, if even into your mini lesson, you're giving student choices of examples or stories you want to use or material they want to use, right? Um, let's see what else. When you're doing activities, you want to give them choices of what manipulatives they want to use. Um, like I said, what books they want to use. If they, if you're picking, if you have um, certain groups that are using certain things, they might give them a choice to use that. So you want to give students choices because they want to feel, you know, like they have responsibility or they're being held accountable or they have a say in what is happening. And students will be more open to learning. Students will be more interested, they'll be interested and engaged, which will go into engaging students um, in another um, episode. But you want to make sure that students are really engaged or understanding what's happening. And that's the help, help that helps when you give them, you have more buy-in, let's say, right? You have more buy-in with students when you're giving them a choice. 
And even if those choices are, they're still yours, right? Because you are giving them the choices. There are some students that are defiant, they give pushback. They they just like to not agree on anything. Um, but if you give them these choices, it gives them a sense of like ownership and also a sense of like, we're trusting them to make a decision. And, and I think the buy-in is pretty good when you're giving kids choice. And they seem to be a little more engaged. Like you're listening to them. You care about what they feel or think because you're giving them the choice to decide which one they have to do. You're not just saying, here, do this and that's it. This is the one and only one, you know? You're not going to really get good a, a good reaction to that, that approach, okay? So that was... Ooh, that was a lot. Domain 1A and 1E of the Danielson rubric, planning and preparation, designing coherent instruction. I hope that was helpful. I will challenge you after this episode to go and go, go plan a lesson. I mean, again, this is for teachers, um, I mean, educators and uh, Practice your lesson. That is going to be my tip for you. Practice your lesson. Like I said, you have many options for audience, whether you have kids, whether you have a partner, whether you have your family or grandma, mom, sister, brother, uncle, you have your cats and you have your mirror. Practice your lesson. Practice your lesson. And you know, that that also will help with the timing of it, right? That that we go into that um, when we, you know, the designing, when we, show, we want to make sure that we are being we're staying on, on task, on topic, and we are using a good amount of time for each part of our lesson. So we make sure we have enough for everything else, right? Like cer certain schools, for example, like their mini lessons, 10, 10 to 13 minutes long, right? So when you're practicing these things, that gives you the opportunity to time yourself. And because now you want to make sure you don't, your mini lesson doesn't go so long because then it takes away from the actual activities you want the students to do. So timing yourself um, when you're doing your lesson and practice your lesson, your delivery, your body language, your tone, reflect and be aware of all those things that are happening at that moment. And I'm sure that is going to help you. It's going to help improve your delivery and your approach to teaching because you are better prepared when you practice those lessons and you'll be, have that confidence in the classroom. So that is my challenge for you today, today. That's my challenge for you today after this episode. So thank you for joining us. This was um, Coffee Stains EDU podcast. This was uh, episode one of four of the one of four of the Danielson attacking the Danielson no, not attacking, right? It's tackling. So this is episode one of four of the Tackling the Danielson Rubric series with your host, Geneva Rodriguez. You can find us on coffeestains underscore edu. That's Instagram. You can find, let me try that again. You can find us on Instagram, coffeestains underscore edu. Again, that's coffeestains underscore edu. You can find me at or you can find me you can't find me there you'll find our website which is coffee you can find our episodes and resources i'm a hot mess right now on our website which is coffeestains.org coffeestains.org that is our website 
on there at the bottom of the page of the footer, footer you can find my linked tree account which has all these resources on there. You can find my YouTube channel. You can find um, this podcast, which you can listen to on Spotify, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. You can also just subscribe to that so that it'll let you know when new episodes come out. You there. You can also find my teacher bootcamp, which we did a virtual a virtual workshop during the pandemic with um, amazing other uh, some other. Um, amazing individuals, educators, and professors who uh, we all just came together, sharing the same passion and put together a teacher bootcamp, which you can find on there as well. I have an EDU resource center, which you can find all that stuff there. We did a digital portfolio workshop online. We um, talked about a resume building as well. We also wrote a sun, um, it's called sun, um, Substitute Teachers of Sunflowers. So we wrote a Substitute Teacher ebook, which is available for free on um, Teacher Pay Teacher. That link is on my link tree as well. So again, check out the website, Coffee Stains ORG, and go to the bottom and you can find all the links to all that good stuff. You find my email if you want to hit me up. If you have any tips, advice, um, ideas for for episodes, let me know. I'm open to that. If you have any feedback you want to send me, you can shoot me an email or shoot me a DM. Um, I appreciate them. I welcome them with open arms. And I will be posting this on YouTube as well. So you can have access to the slides. I will also post all the resources on the website. Again, that's coffee stains ORG. The Instagram is coffee stains underscore edu and thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you again for joining coffee stained podcast this is your host geneva and i will get back on let's see i'm gonna try maybe every two weeks every three weeks i'll put out a new episode for the tackling the Danielson rubric series. So this was planning and preparation. We have classroom environment coming up. We have instruction coming up and then professional responsibilities. So thank you again for joining us. And it's a wrap.